We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Race attack, watch out! Burst of speed! Look at this freshman! Welcome to the home of professional football, Canton, Ohio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Dave Lako, and you can find me on Twitter at StayFunLako. And of course, you can find the wonderful Travis May, the creator of this wonderful podcast, at FF underscore Travis M. If you're joining us for the very first time, College to Canton is a show about the journey of the best football players and prospects from being a college football recruit all the way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Of course, we always talk some fantasy football since this is a Rotoviz Radio podcast, but we try to dive into some real football, both college and NFL analysis. Two, Travis's episode earlier this week looked at players that we should be panicking about and players that we shouldn't be panicking about. He dove into some of the, the deeper elements of the game to see what is worth freaking out about and, and what is just a little bit of noise and we can expect you know the player to get back to where we had projected or hoped or expected them to be uh, today i'm gonna dive into some some nfl stuff here uh, i as you know love college football you can hear a lot of the college football stuff from from travis's episode you can also uh, head over to our other road of his college football podcast uh, that i host alongside matt with spay uh, that's the college football fantasy podcast uh, where we do a lot of like Debbie talk, DFS talk, and and betting against the spread. Super exciting week ahead. I, I'm I'm really pumped for some college football. But I really wanted to dive back into some of the areas that we looked at last week. Some of the situations that I had my eye on uh, to kind of get a glimpse of of what we can maybe lean into, where we can maybe get an edge on the competition when it comes to our fantasy football leagues, uh, based on what we saw in week one. Of course. Uh, one week is a very small sample size, so a lot of things can change. 
I remember this time last year after week one, Sammy Watkins was going to be the truth. And uh, he had yet again just destroyed week one. And we were not sure what to do with it. This week, rather this season, I am sure we will have similar outliers. But I want to start kind of leading into some of what we saw and, and try to figure out where we can find some market inefficiencies, how we can get a leg up on our competition. I'm going to start with the running back position, go to the wide receiver, and then last but not least, I will definitely, because the people need it, the people want it, I will get into some streaming kicker advice. It's important, it's weird, it's lame, but I just happened to look in one of my leagues where we have kickers, and there were four kickers available all within the top five projected point outcomes this week. So the implied team totals, the the, the like five of the team, five of the kickers with the highest team implied total uh, were available in my league, which just goes to show you you don't have to roster your kicker throughout the week. There are plenty of guys available. I'll jump into some of that. Let's start out with, I mean, one of the most more awkward parts was right when I hit uh, the record button. I kind of shut down Twitter, got into my record session last week, published the podcast, and then found out that Gus Edwards was also out for the year. That was awkward because I had just gotten done talking about the Baltimore backfield and what we could expect from that. Well, hopefully no more injuries take place while I'm recording this and we can kind of get through this seamlessly. But let's start off with just kind of an interesting look at the guys coming back off injury. We were kind of wondering what we could expect from Saquon and DeAndre Swift. Uh, Saquon Barkley did not have a great game. He ended up not seeing a whole lot of the field because the Giants just couldn't keep up with Denver. Denver's defense, we expect them to be really good. So we weren't necessarily surprised by that, but it was a little bit unsettling to me that Saquon Barkley saw less than 50% of the snaps. He was only in the backfield on 48% of the New York Giants plays. That is not what I was hoping for. I was hoping he would be more involved. Uh, even when he did touch the ball, he didn't do a lot. DeAndre Swift, on the other hand, he was he was involved in 68% of the Lions snaps, which was absolutely fantastic. And, and we saw how explosive he is. I, I really think DeAndre Swift is going to have a great season. I talked a lot about him with Matthew Hicks a few weeks ago when he was on the, on the show. And he's super high on him. He thinks the ceiling is, is so high in PPR with the, avil- the ability to do some work out of the backfield. And after week one, he looks like he might be spot on. Some of the rookies that didn't really have a great, well, Michael Carter, the one rookie I've been most excited about from the running back position, uh, really hoping he was going to be able to see uh, some workload in a Jets backfield that, you know, didn't have a whole lot of talent in it uh, with Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson. Unfortunately, it did not come uh, to fruition in the first week. Ty Johnson led the way with 54% of the snaps. Tevin Coleman, 26%, and Michael Carter only was out there for a quarter, 25% of the Jets' plays. On the other hand, Najee Harris saw every single snap. I'm sure by this point in the week, you've heard that a hundred times. Harris, while he didn't produce, he was out there literally for every play, and that's really exciting for him. I think better days are ahead for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and if there's a panicking league member that owns uh, a share of Najee Harris in your league, you might want to reach out to to them if they only look at the final score, if they only look at the production, the total points. Uh, Najee Harris should be 
in a really good position to shine moving forward. I want to move to another guy, another rookie that we talked about, and Javante Williams. And I said, if he gets over 30% of the snaps, I'm going to be super, super excited because last year, Melvin Gordon had over a 50% snap count share in all but one game. There was only one game where Melvin Gordon started last year uh, that he saw less than 50%, and he saw like 49%. So he was always the running back getting the majority of the snaps. Well, this week, in week one rather, Pat, last week, Melvin Gordon saw 33 snaps. Javante Williams saw 33 snaps. They split the work right down the middle. Not only that, but Melvin Gordon had 11 carries, and Javante Williams had 14. Javante Williams only had one target to Melvin Gordon's three targets, but if you just look at total opportunities, Javante Williams had 15 opportunities in the 33 snaps that he participated in. So 45.5% of the plays that Javante Williams was involved with, he was getting an opportunity, either on the ground or through the air. Melvin Gordon's number was 42%. So Javante Williams was more involved in the offense in week one than Melvin Gordon. And I know Melvin Gordon was the one who broke off the big touchdown. He's the guy who ends up the, the day with a, a nicer box score stat line. But Javante Williams is someone that really, really surprised me. And I'm dancing. Like I have more Melvin Gordon shares than Javante Williams shares, unfortunately, because Melvin Gordon was going so late. And I knew that at least in the beginning of the season, he would see some work and they had a nice schedule to start out the year. But man, I got to be honest, I'm a little concerned about Melvin Gordon moving forward. I'm very curious to see what happens in Jacksonville. I would not be surprised if Denver gets out to an early comfortable lead and we see Jacksonville uh, with Trevor Lawrence. I'm actually wearing my Jaguars hat right now. So uh, much love to, uh, to the Jags. I'm not a big Urban fan, but I, I love Trevor Lawrence. I love what Jacksonville could be, but right now they're garbage. And I could see the Jags having to play catch up just like they did last week. And I could see Denver getting out to an early lead, relying on their running game. And I won't be surprised if Javante Williams ends up having a more productive game. Javante Williams is someone that I have in uh, a lot of my lineups for DFS this upcoming week. think he could be a sneaky, cheap play. And we're not really talking about DFS, but I wanted to get that in there because I uh, was really encouraged by what I saw from the from him in the Denver back, backfield just when it comes to usage. So again, the the 14 atten- the 14 rushes maybe isn't eye-popping, but being under 50% of the snaps, getting more opportunities than Melvin Gordon did in the offense uh, is really exciting. I wanted to s- just hit on three other backfields real, real quick. Uh, not going to jump into anything uh, super deep on this, just some interesting, notable snap percentages that I that I wanted to share with you. And one of them comes from the Cleveland Browns, where they were up most of that game. And the Chiefs really had to come back in it. Despite the game script, Kareem Hunt still saw 47% of the snaps, while Nick Chubb saw 53. I think a lot of us might have expected in, in games where Cleveland is up big, we would see more like a 65 to 70% snap percentage share for for Nick Chubb but nope it was pretty pretty even the other one that was interesting James Robinson I think a lot of us were really nervous about him when Etienne was drafted and then Etienne got hurt and we got excited again and now Carlos Hyde is in there uh, taking up 34 percent of the snaps he got more carries than James Robinson if I'm not mistaken uh, Robinson was in there a lot but man 
it's just hard to trust Urban Meyer um, to know what to do with this backfield. I'm not exactly sure if I feel good about all the James Robinson shares I have left over from last year in my dynasty leagues. Um, starting him, but not with much confidence. We saw what Denver was able to do to Saquon Barkley last week. I, I can't imagine James Robinson has a spectacular day unless it's, you know, picking up some short passes uh, once the game is kind of put to bed. Uh, the last backfield I want to talk about is the always frustrating Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Leonard Fournette led the way with 65% of the snaps, Gio Bernard with 26%, and Ronald Jones only 9%. Now, I know Jones got into some trouble, uh, made a mistake, and he was benched. That's the risk we play. <laughs> that's the risk. That's that's the game we play with this, this Tampa Bay backfield. It's just so volatile. You don't really know what's going to happen week in, week out. Uh, if you have any better options, man, avoid, avoid, avoid. Unless we see this become a trend, maybe Gio Bernard is the only startable player if he continues to get 26% of the snap count. Maybe not all of the games that Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay is in are uh, are favorable for um, for passing. So uh, Gio is the guy I want right now uh, for for super cheap um, in a, in a PPR because I do think he will get some of that work that that James White role. All right, let's move into uh, Baltimore, which we talked about quite a bit. Last week, uh, last week I, I mentioned to you that this is a backfield that is really spread out between all the running backs on the team. So what did we see in week one? Well, Tyson Williams saw over 50% of the snaps. He was in there on 35 plays compared to Latavius Murray's 21 snaps, which was only 31%. Um, but what was interesting is that Latavius Murray saw a carry on 47.6% of the snaps that he was involved in compared to only 28.5% for Tyson Williams. So when Tyson was in there, they were throwing the ball. Uh, he was getting some carries, but it was really a little bit more of an open-ended result. Whereas with Latavius Murray, half the time he was in there, they were running the football with him. Now, he wasn't all that productive with it. I do know he got into the end zone, uh, but not an extremely efficient day uh, Latavius Murray also ended the day with zero targets, where Tyson Williams had four targets, which was actually uh, pretty encouraging and makes you wonder what could have happened if, if J.K. Dobbins was there, because uh, I know that we were all kind of hoping for that. So Tyson Williams, uh, Tyson Williams, excuse me, walks away uh, with a pretty good uh, snap percentage at 51%, uh, but only getting a carry on 28.5% of those snaps is, is not something that was super encouraging to me. Uh, we also know that he had some missed assignments in the passing game. So we'll have to see what happens with that Baltimore backfield, but it's definitely something that I'm keeping my eye on. Cannon, who is no longer on the team, uh, he saw nine snaps, uh, but he had 0% uh, percent of the carries. So when he was in there, it was definitely not a running play. So uh, something to look for, something to keep your eye on. Uh, another interesting situation happened in San Francisco where we saw Trey Sermon, a healthy scratch to start the game. And then, of course... Raheem Mostert goes down. We now know that he is out for the year. And a lot of the questions that we had rolling into next week, I believe, uh, remain unanswered. I know a lot of people are excited about Elijah Mitchell, and he looked fantastic. And in fact, the, the numbers look good, too. He saw more than twice as many snaps outside of Kyle Juszczyk. Um, He saw 64% of the snaps uh, from the running back position. That was uh, more than double what Hasty had, who only had 29% of the snaps. So... Really encouraging that Mitchell got so much play. I'm just curious what will happen with Trey Sermon most likely being involved in the game plan. I also didn't really love 
that Jamichael Hasty had more routes run and more targets than Elijah Mitchell. So I, I do think the pass catching upside for Elijah Mitchell may not be there. But of course, it's one game. The game script kind of went out the window with uh, Trey, excuse me, not Trey Sermon. He wasn't there uh, with Raheem Mostert's injury. So one to keep an eye on. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, by all means, I, I understand people going out and spending big on him uh, in their for their waiver wire uh, ads. I didn't do it. I picked him up in, in maybe one league, which isn't many <laughs> for considering how many I'm in. Uh, but I, I just felt feel, feel unsettled about what could take place here. And I just didn't really want to invest a, a bunch of fab into a, a backfield that is, you know, a bit of a quagmire. Uh, meanwhile, Chris Carson had a sneaky, sneaky good game. Uh, he had 91 yards, which is great. But that fumble kind of hurt his overall outlook. You know, minus two points is never good. Uh, but something that is really really exciting is the fact that he played 78% of the snaps, which is higher than he was involved in any game last year. And I know he missed quite a few with injuries, but even the games where he was healthy, he didn't see that many snaps in any game. Uh, he had 16 carries. So he had a carry on 38, just over 38% of the snaps that he was involved in. And he also had three receptions on three targets. So he had 19 opportunities on 42 plays. So, 45% of the time when Chris Carson was on the field, he was involved in the offense. And that is very, very exciting to me. He had a 13% target share, which is really, really exciting considering that the Seattle Seahawks were in the lead the entire way. And it was a pretty comfortable margin of victory. And a, the game wasn't really uh, in doubt much. I, I watched every second of this game, as you can imagine. And Chris Carson was out there a lot. And when he was out there, he was seeing the opportunity to get involved in this offense. We expect Seattle to continue to be a high-scoring offense. I don't think they're going to blow everyone out. I think, in fact, the line of minus 5.5 this week against Tennessee is a little bloated. I have it more as a 2.5 a, a to 3-point game. Uh, maybe that'll make me look crazy. I, I did bet Titans plus 5.5, uh, so there's that. Um, but, but I think Chris Carson's going to be involved. We also now see that uh, Penny is injured yet again. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of competition in that backfield. DJ Dallas is more of a special teams guy. Alex Collins, they'll, they'll bring him up from the practice squad, but he's not someone that's going to force Carson off the field outside of rest uh, for maybe one every three or four drives or so. So Chris Carson, to me, even though he didn't get in the end zone, even though he didn't eclipse that 100-yard mark for uh, rushing yards, he was a winner on the week for me. Really excited about his involvement, not only on the field, uh, but just seeing this Seattle offense work, how they're trying to design plays, uh, the, the up pace tempo I thought was really good. And, and Carson was able to exploit that. And, and also, of course, they, they like to use him in the passing game, which is absolutely fantastic and okay by me. Uh, another opportunity for some takeaways is the Miami backfield. Uh, this one, I, I was a little disappointed to see what Miles Gaskin walked away with. Uh, last year, he saw a ton of action. Uh, as I mentioned, he had a 68% opportunity share, um, which was really, really good. It was number 11 in the league, and that was despite only playing in 10 games. Um, and I was curious to see what was happening, what would happen now that we have Malcolm Brown there, and of course, Ahmed is still there. Well, last week, excuse me, last year, Gaskins had over a 60% snap share 
um, in, in almost every game that he started. There was only one game that he uh, he didn't eclipse that number. Uh, so so what did he do this week? Uh, what what was it that he uh, was producing? Not 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 producing. Excuse me. Uh, how often was he out there? Well, twenty nine snaps, only fifty four percent. So sure, that's still good. That's that's more than anyone else. And if you didn't know what he had done last year, you might feel comfortable with that. You might be excited about that. But I was really disappointed that it was, you know, if you look at from his entire career, uh, it was one of his lower percentages. And, and that's concerning to me. He did see five targets. So again, he, he continues to see uh, the work in the passing game. Uh, last year, he hit over four, four or more in every game, but one. So he still is, I think, a great PP or a good PPR option. But outside of that, in a standard league, I, I'm getting very nervous about Gaskins. I'm definitely have him as a player to monitor uh, moving forward. Um, but it doesn't mean that there's any excitement <laughs> anywhere else in this backfield. Uh, Malcolm Brown only saw 30% of the snaps, um, and Savan Ahmed saw only 20%. So not a whole lot of other exciting options there. It's kind of Gaskins or nothing. And at this point, I'm I'm still starting Miles. Uh, but this is definitely a, a situation to monitor. One I don't feel extremely comfortable with, if I'm 100% honest, uh, just because uh, the lack of involvement. And it, and it does look now with Will Fuller coming back as well, that they want to be a little bit more dynamic. They want to get more involved in the passing game. And I think, too, we'll see, uh, we'll see him move around more, too, running the ball a little bit. The last backfield I want to look at before we uh, head to the break is, of course, the Las Vegas Raiders where my boy Josh Jacobs, who I have uh, planted a flag on and really <laughs> put myself out on a limb, uh, he, he's the guy that I wanted to look at here. And this is one that I think we need to continue to monitor. He ended up finishing the day looking absolutely fantastic if you just look at the points scored. He had uh, two touchdowns. He, for one of the first times in an absolutely very long time, had a positive fantasy points over expectation of like 5.04. Uh, so, so that's great. The only problem is he did not have the type of involvement, the type of work from a just being on the field um, perspective as he did last year. He saw only 52% of the snaps. Um, however, he did have two targets, which you know is only 0.8 fewer than last. But meanwhile, Kenyon Drake, while he only had six rushing attempts, he did see five targets. So Kenyon Drake is definitely going to be the guy who's getting the passes. They're going to bring him in when they need to. And I think game script did lead to more opportunities for Kenyon Drake because the Raiders were in catch-up mode um, at the end of the game. But that's going to happen with this Las Vegas team. I don't think we can assume that Josh Jacobs is, is going to be getting a ton of carries if they're not up significantly, or at least it's not uh, real, real close. Uh, but where Josh Jacobs really did shine in this game and where he shined last year or shown last year, that's a tough one, uh, was in the red zone. And he uh, had three touches in the red zone uh, to Kenyon Drake's zero touches in the red zone, and he was able to convert two of them into touchdowns. So Josh Jacobs continues to be the guy near the goal line, which I think will continue to elevate his floor. So I'm not like panicking on Josh Jacobs and thinking that he is not going to be a, a reliable RB two this year, a high end RB two at that. Uh, but I do think, you know, if you're expecting uh, this point production from him going forward, you might be misled. I think if you happen to be in a league 
with uh, Josh Jacobs truther, <laughs> someone more excited about him than myself. Well, chances are he, they already drafted him. But if someone is out there interested in Josh Jacobs, you could probably sell high on him. I, I don't think we can expect that uh, that, that amount of efficiency from a touchdown perspective. Uh, two touchdowns on 10 carries is, is not really uh, the most likely thing to happen in the future. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on, something that I'm going to be looking at. Uh, and, I, and I do hope that Josh Jacobs gets more involvement in the offense. He, he sees a higher percentage of those snaps, sees more touches, did not love 10 attempts and two targets on 45 snaps. Uh, really not ideal at all. In fact, he's only seeing the opportunity on 27% of the snaps that he's involved in. I mean, and that's just when you compare to some of those other guys that we were looking at, uh, a guy like Chris Carson, that's up at 45%, or even Latavius Murray, at 47.6%, uh, it does leave a lot to be desired. All right, we're going to take a quick break. I will get into some wide receivers on the other side, and then we will finish up with a little bit of, and I mean just a little bit of kicker talk. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back. Let's get into the wide receiver position. A uh, couple notable ones just to start with. Uh, <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs' Tyreek Hill saw 41.7% of the targets in Kansas City. Meanwhile, McCole Hardman, the, the wide receiver two on the team, um, from a positional standpoint, obviously you've got uh, CEH and, and Kelsey who, who had more targets, but only 8.3% of the targets really was frustrating if you were hoping to see a breakout again. This was even in catch-up mode where they're trying to get back in the game against Cleveland, and of course, ultimately, they did. But even in a, a game script that might be ideal for the wide receiver two in Kansas City, uh, we just didn't see it. So, uh, McCole Hardman remains someone that I'm super nervous about, and you know, at this point, you probably can't do much with it, but, but definitely something to monitor. Uh, the second he has uh, you know, that one target for a 62-yard reception and a touchdown, uh, maybe try to sell him right away. Uh, if you, you look over at Las Vegas... Hunter Renfro led the way with of, of the receivers. Uh, we all know that the 19, 19 of the targets went to Mr. Darren Waller, uh, but Hunter Renfro saw 16.1%, and then Ruggs and, 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 and Edwards tied for 8.9%. So I was hoping that we'd see uh, kind of a breakout for Ruggs this year. He was someone that I was drafting pretty late in best ball leagues, but I have a whole lot of exposure to him. I, I talked about him with Travis a couple weeks ago. Uh, but that 8.9% target share is, is really disappointing. Uh, let's move over to Cincinnati, where 
Everyone was telling me Jamar Chase couldn't catch the ball, that he was going to be a bust because of the preseason. Well, he goes out there, has a great day, had a 26% target share, uh, which was more than Higgins at 18.5 and Boyd at 14.8. But another interesting player there, Joe Mixon, super involved in the passing game. He had a 14.8% target share. Absolute monster start to the year, which is fantastic because I am so high on Mixon this year, and and this first game was a nice little uh, feather in that cap. We can start doing victory laps because clearly... Uh, he is the RB1 for the year. Um, I say that in jest. Uh, finally, I'm curious what's going to happen. Uh, as I speak right now, the the kick, the game just kicked off. Uh, we've got the Giants versus the Washington football team. And I'm curious to see what Kenny Galladay ends up doing tonight. He only had a 16.2% target share. In fact, he was third on the Giants. Uh, so I know he's been banged up a bit. I know that maybe he, he's getting worked in slowly. But I was just concerned with the, the outcome there. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about targets per routes run. Um, and again, this is, I mean, it's exactly what it says it is. It's, it's the amount of targets a receiver gets based on the routes they run. So obviously, players with a high number um, is, is a player that the quarterback's looking to, someone they trust, someone that they want to rely on. Um, of course, it's not the only thing that matters. Um, raw routes run is also extremely important because if you have 100% TPRR, but it's on two routes, that's not going to be as beneficial or as efficient as, well, be more efficient, but won't be as productive as someone who is seeing uh, a lower percentage but is running you know, 15, 20 more routes a game. So the first place we we kind of looked at last week, the area of con- of contemplation for me was with the Carolina Panthers. And while Robbie Anderson saved his day with a massive 57-yard touchdown, the underlying numbers are are actually pretty frightening. So one of the things we looked at was just how the roles between DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson flipped from 2019 to 2020, and Anderson really was a benefactor of that. Well, last week, uh, his air yards per target was 29.7, so absolutely massive compared to DJ Morse 11.3. But if you recall, I talked about how the receiver that was most productive on the year was the receiver with the lower air yards per target. Um, so, so that would lead into to Moore's favor. If we look at team target percentage, DJ Moore had a 24% target share, which is exactly the same as what he had in 2019 as well as 2020. So he's on pace to keep that. Meanwhile, Robbie was down to 9%. So that's pretty terrifying. If you look at the TPRR, the targets per routes run, uh, DJ Moore was targeted on 23.5% of his routes. Terrace Marshall was actually targeted at 26.1% of his routes. And Robbie Anderson at only 9.6%. So uh, not great. In fact, Terrace Marshall saw more targets than Robbie Anderson. So something to monitor. I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. I know it was only one week, small sample size, but definitely something that we need to pay attention to because it could be a pretty difficult road ahead for Robbie Anderson if, if things don't change a little bit. The other really exciting place is uh, Tampa Bay. We saw Antonio Brown, uh, who Travis did talk about. Uh, Travis was reminding us that Antonio Brown is, is putting together a Hall of Fame-worthy career, and it seems like he might just be picking up where he left off um, last year when he came back and joined Tom Brady and just became the wide receiver one for, for the Bucks moving forward. Well, he had a, a really great 
breakout to the season. Uh, his airy hearts per target was a whopping 19.7. So he was really seeing uh, some deep work and uh, hooking up with Tom Brady and, and some pretty big plays. Uh, his TPRR was 20%. Chris Godwin actually had a higher one. He was targeted on 28% of his routes. And Mike Evans, only 14%. And Mike Evans also had a pretty low average yards per target at 75 So I am really, really concerned about Mike Evans at this point. This was a player that Travis mentioned yesterday, or not yesterday, two days ago, in the episode about players to panic over. And, and I'm with him. I didn't know he was actually going to be talking about Mike Evans, and I was texting him when I was doing some of this research. I was like, man, Mike Evans, uh, not only did he not get many, many looks, uh, he wasn't targeted on many of his routes, and, and the targets he did receive, uh, he, he wasn't very far down the field. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with Mike Evans moving forward. Was it strictly a uh, you know, game strategy for that particular week, or is this something that we're going to see going forward? Uh, meanwhile, Antonio Brown continues to look absolutely sensational, and I'm really excited about how many shares I have uh, of him uh, moving forward because he is going to be uh, such a value at where you were able to draft him. And if there is someone out there in your league that thinks it's a fluke or if he has a, a, a kind of a, a rough week this week, he's someone that I'm, I'm trying to acquire, someone that I'm willing to buy high on because I, I really believe this is uh, going to be a, a fantastic year for Antonio Brown. Uh, let's go back over to Seattle. Uh, one of the things I wanted to look at is what was happening with the target share as it is composed of the wide receivers because um, this offense really does funnel so much towards Lockett and Metcalf. And, and yet again, we, we saw that take place. In fact, both the tight end one and two, uh, so Will Disley and Gerald Everett, ran more routes than the wide receiver three and the wide receiver four combined for. So D. Eskridge ran two routes. Uh, Freddie Swain ran 13. And, and D. Eskridge also did get a handoff. He was targeted on, on, on his route. He, he did make the catch, um, but he's now injured. So uh, you really do have a concentrated offense here relying on these two receivers and possibly the tight end. So Gerald Everett had one uh, play that was called back for a penalty. It was a screen pass designed for him, and he took it like 17 yards or so, which would have uh, you know, helped out his day quite a bit. It would have uh, maybe brought about a little bit more buzz than what he currently has. But really what I think we're seeing here is just an offense to avoid unless you have uh, Lockett, Metcalf, and uh, or Carson. Uh, but from the wide receiver position, I don't think that we're going to see a D. Eskridge breakout or Freddie Swain breakout anytime soon. Uh, they just love using those elite wide receivers that they have. Um, another interesting place is Miami. So I'm very curious to see what happens with their sets this week. Last week, Devontae Parker ran 26 routes. Waddle ran 23. And then the wide receiver three and four, Wilson and Grant, combined for 18 total routes. So not quite as concentrated as uh, the Seattle Seahawks, as I mentioned, but still a team that hasn't really used their wide receiver three or four much. Uh, in fact, between the two of them, they only combined for two targets. Well, now Will Fuller is back. So what does that mean? Are we going to see a change of offensive philosophy? Are we going to see three wide receivers running routes more often? Or is it still going to be just two guys? And if so, which two? Uh, Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, and Waddle were not, you know, high-end targets on draft day, but I think we were all hoping that they'd be 
able to be used as a you know a wide receiver three or a flex. And I'm just sure which, I'm not just not sure which two of these three because I don't I definitely don't think uh, three of them are going to be all three of them are going to be viable. So with Will Fuller back in the mix this week, it's going to be really interesting to see how they divvy out the role, who's running the most routes, who's receiving the most targets, and where they're trying to concentrate the efforts in this offense. Uh, we haven't seen Mike Kosicki do much from the tight end position, so there could be an opportunity for one of these wide receivers or two of these wide receivers to have a significant role in this offense. Um, but again, like we said earlier, Miles Gaskins is, of course, getting these targets as well, so it's just not a huge pie, and I'm not exactly sure what it will look like with Will Fuller in the mix. So we will have to keep an eye on that and see just what it looks like moving forward. All right, the time you've all been waiting for. It's time for me to fire off my streaming picks at the kicker position. And again, real quick, what I'm looking for here, especially this early in the year when we're not exactly sure which offenses are great, which ones are terrible, what did week one mean? Like, do we really think Green Bay is going to be this terrible all year? I, for one, do not. But one of the things that we can rely on is looking at Las Vegas' point totals and kind of getting an idea of what they think, what they expect. Because they do this for a living, and they're pretty damn good at setting these lines. So for this first couple weeks, I like to look at nothing really more than the implied team total. And if you look at that, there are five options of players that are rostered in fewer than 60% of sleeper leagues, and four of them, four of which are in less than 50%. Uh, so their ownership is super low. You can get at least one, if not two of these guys, don't get two kickers, um, in every single league that you're in. Uh, the guy I want to start with is only 2% owned, and this is not in any particular order, just other than ownership. But McLaughlin, the kicker for Cleveland, is only 2% owned. Uh, meanwhile, the Cleveland Browns are tied for second with 30 implied uh, team points. So he's going to have the opportunity to kick. And I don't think he's going to be just kicking extra points. I think the opportunity will be there to put up uh, some, some field goals as well. Uh, next up is Arizona's Prater, who is only 35% rostered. And he is in a nice situation this week. Uh, the team total, the, the implied team total is 27 points, which is seventh. Uh, so again, a nice offense. Next up is Mason Crosby. As, a, as I mentioned, Green Bay should be a lot better. They have the fourth highest implied team point total at 29.75. And he's only 37% rostered. And, and Mason Crosby is a guy with an amazing track record. So if you're a little, little bit nervous about going with Chase McLaughlin for, for Cleveland, uh, I think you can do a lot worse than Mason Crosby. Um, again, he's most likely out there, especially after that horrid performance that, that Green Bay put up. But I really don't think we need to put too much into that, especially up against the Detroit Lions. Um, I think Crosby would be my play. Uh, if I had to pick one, he is my favorite. Um, but there's also Jason Myers. Uh, he's going to be at home, which can be a tricky kicking environment. But again, I don't care about that near as much as I care about the 30 implied uh, team points, which is, again, tied second uh, most for the week. And he's only rostered in 47% of sleeper leagues. And then finally, uh, the team with the highest implied uh, team total is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 32.25. And Suckup is only rostered in 59% of leagues. So again, probably rostered in yours, but maybe not. 
uh, go take a look at these guys. I really think there's no need, again, there's no need to keep a kicker on your roster throughout the week. If you had a waiver claim this week on Elijah Mitchell, I hope you dropped your kicker. I hope he was the one you let go and not someone else who might prove to be more valuable. Uh, so, so do be looking at that. I just want to remind you guys again, uh, it is early in the year. A lot can still happen. Don't panic too much. Don't Even the guys that Travis was telling you about earlier in this week that, that you're nervous about, that you're wanting to dr- drop or trade or abandon, uh, give it a little bit of time. Do monitor it. You, you don't want to wait too long and, and end up in a situation where you can't do anything. Uh, but I do hope that you, uh, you monitor it. You, you st- keep listening to Travis. Keep listening to myself. Uh, we'll help you kind of make those decisions before you need to. Uh, but do continue to listen. Subscribe to the show. Give us a rating and review. Um, I will be back on next week with a guest. Uh, so you won't have to listen to me drone on and on and on uh, in my uh, dungeon here in Denver. Uh, we're going to get back to uh, the, the regular format of programming with a guest on with me and then Travis doing his his solo episodes where he really dives deep into some of the college football and, and NFL analysis, looking at some of those players. Uh, so in the meantime, enjoy football this week. Uh, we've got a great slate. I'm super excited. It's going to be awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Travis will be back with you early next week, and I'll talk to you next Friday. Have a great night. Talk to you soon.